the Australian Defence Magazine podcast. Serving the business of defence. With Grant McHeron. Hi everyone and welcome back to the show. This episode features two of the interviews we recorded at the Indo-Pacific 2023 event in Sydney. The first is with Chris Musket, Maritime Engineering Director at BAE Systems, and it's regarding the modified Hunter-class frigate design they unveiled at the event, which features 96 vertical launch system cells instead of the current design's 32. Chris Musket of BAE Systems, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to be here with you. Excellent. And we're talking about the, uh, the what is going to become the Hunter-class frigate. And a wee design change that you folks have done to demonstrate to the um, Australians what the ship is capable of. Can you run us through what that change is? Yeah, sure. So at the show, we're, um, we've launched something called the Guided Missile Frigate. Um, and it's a concept design, um, which is an evolution of the Hunter Frigate program, um, which we've been working on for several years in, in Adelaide. So we've got the normal VLS, the launches, um, in front of the bridge but you've uh, done some mods in the middle to fit a whole lot more in, in the middle of the ship. Yeah, so, so what we're trying to do is, um, is just to um, explore and to some extent demonstrate the flexibility of the existing platform. Um, you'll be aware of a lot of uh, work in, in, in the press recently, uh, a lot of thinking about um, which capability is most relevant to the Royal Australian Navy. And um, you know, we've, we've taken a view it's not particularly helpful to, to add another voice into that. Um, but we did want to do some work off our own backs to explore um, you know, what would be the impact of, of um, evolving the capability of Hunter to something that's more focused on missiles, uh, long-range strike, and less focused on anti-submarine warfare or ASW. Okay, so the, but the, uh, the key driver around the Hunter originally was ASW, so you're not totally getting rid of that capability though, are you? No, no, we're not. So uh, an anti-submarine warfare capability in a ship um, involves much more than its sensors um, and effectors. So the ship retains um, some of its sonar capability. It retains the ability to operate the MH60 Romeo helicopter, which is a powerful part of the ASW suite. But it also, probably more importantly, retains um, all of the features that are built into the platform design. So, so the Hunter design features um, some, some really unusual technology around um, design of simple things like auxiliary systems, as, as well as much more complex things like the propulsion train. Um, so Hunter's based on a, a hybrid um, gas turbine and electric uh, drive propulsion system. Um, and uh, you know that, that is all completely common in the guided missile frigate. There's, there's no change to um, that core platform architecture. Okay, so this is, uh, hey guys, so you're, you're Royal Australian Navy, you're going down the Hunter path, which will give you your ASW and that kind of frigate, but if you wanted to, you could get another extra couple and we'd put all these VLSs in. Is that sort of the angle? Um, yeah, I, I, I'm not sure I'd call it an angle, but uh, what we're trying to do is demonstrate that um, if the advice that the, um, that the, that the Navy takes um, indicates that another capability should take priority, we're, we're trying to explore the extent to which that capability can be delivered while still um, still building on what we've achieved um, in Australia. So the, the knowledge transfer, um, the mobilization of the shipyard in Osborne, um, the creation of a workforce that's got um, 1,500 Australians um, in it at this point in time. They're all really invested in it. And um, you know our, our, our hypothesis that we're testing is that you can flex and, and build on that work um, regardless of the capability that you need. 
I, I should say though, that doesn't mean that we don't think that ASW is still relevant. Um, you know, there's there's a, a very very long running debate between um, surface ship sailors and submariners about how relevant, right? And uh, and we're probably not going to be able to help solve that right now. But I don't think anyone can solve that, no matter how much alcohol we pour into that group. <laughs> yeah, I think you're right. <laughs> So to um, fit the uh, VLS units in the middle, um, I notice on the model here that you got mocked up, you've also got uh, some on-deck deck top launches as well, I believe. They're from the, uh, the strike missiles, the NSM. Yeah, so, so the, the key differences um, are a, a trade-off of the mission bay capability that exists within the Hunter design, um, which is a very, very large um, space within the center of the ship, um, which can host any types of assets from from containers from, for humanitarian um, missions to, uh, to um, sort of command uh, modules for autonomous assets. Um, so, so the concept here trades them off, it takes, uh, takes that payload out of the mission bay and it replaces it with, um, with two sets of additional missile capability. Um, one is the addition of um, up to another 64 Mark 41. Uh, VLS launches, and and the other is that on on this concept we've shown um, the naval strike missile um, from from Kongsberg. Yeah. Yep. Okay. And uh, I believe that across the entire design, the uh, the VLS launches can be upgraded to the Type 57 as well if required. So I think the the Type 57 launcher is quite a um, it's quite a different launcher system. So, so we, we believe it's possible. What we're doing is we're demonstrating that the overall platform can, can take that, i.e. sufficient margins. Um, uh, but this concept is, is very focused around like minimizing the change from Hunter, showing a, an evolution of the current um, design in a format which um, doesn't introduce the, the risk of major whole ship design change, right? I think the Mark 57 um, launches would require a, a lot more change, right? Right, okay, so quite a bit bigger and, and redesign of, of the space. Not, not necessarily bigger, but um, more expansive change. Um, so in, in their current installations, they're, they're around the perimeter of a vessel. Um, it's very much more intrusive. Okay, so yeah, the, the Hunter and then the if you want to get more, uh, keep people at distance and uh, launch a lot of missiles, which seems to be the uh, the big big uh, force that the Australians are very interested in at the moment, here's, here's the uh, same kind of ship but repurposed effectively. Yeah, effectively. Yeah. So, so um, we believe that with retaining the the same sort of you know hull form, platform systems, all the auxiliary systems, and a lot of the outfit. Um, uh, you know, we could achieve 85% commonality with the existing design, and the changes are quite localized to um, uh, particular parts of the ship, um, which means that you can almost—it's not quite plug and play, right? It's more complicated than that with a with a ship build. Um, but you, you know, you can um, flex the capability within those parts of the ship with limited impacts um, elsewhere. Okay, and you just you just said plug and play, and you know, which we know it's not, of course, but that indicate there's a lot of uh, effort goes into seaworthiness, system design, things like that. So you don't just say, oh, we'll take out the tote array, we'll take out the mission bay, we'll whack this in. What goes into progressing something that cop from concept to design like this? So the work that we've done on this at the moment is um, well, what we'd call a concept design study. Um, so it's the early part of the activity to identify whether the, the kind of whole ship um, Margins has, it, has has she got enough reserve buoyancy when you make the capability changes? Um, assessing how much impact there is on things like the design of the combat management um, system and, and networks that run throughout the the ship. 
So, so the study we've done at the moment is, is about scoping it and uh, demonstrating its feasibility. I think if we got to the point where um, we believed or a potential customer believed um, that we should take it further, the, the next step is to go through a sort of fairly classic systems engineering process, um, but tailored around specific parts of the ship that are changing, right? which, which makes it quite a lot easier to kick off. It, it, almost think of it essentially as a, as a big change program. Right? Well, as you said, if it's 80 to 85% commonality, then you don't really have to do the seaworthiness for those components, just how they interact, just the new components and how they all interact. Yeah, so it's building on the work that's already been done for Hunter um, to, to get through all of that complexity and make a seaworthiness argument. Yeah. Now, we're going to shift gears a little. We've talked about the ship, we've talked about seaworthiness, but uh, let's talk about your accent. You're not from around here, um, but I understand you are now living in Adelaide. So where have you come from? Yeah, so I'm, uh, I'm a Clyde shipbuilder. I've been with uh, BA Systems for 24 years now. Um, and I've worked on the Hunter program since 2016 when the initial um, uh, sort of in invitation to tender and limited competition took place. Um, but I did the, um, most of that work out of the UK. Um, the Hunter team is um, uh, based predominantly in Australia. There are um, still a large um, system design team in the UK, and, and I sat with them and worked with them day to day. Um, yeah, so, so I'm, a, I'm a shipbuilder. I come from a small town called Helensburg, which is uh, famous for its uh, submarine base um, uh, and, and for um, being the home of the adventure of the television. Um, uh, so, uh, and, and, and moved over here um, in the middle of COVID with the, with the family to, to try and sort of support the the next phase of the Hunter program in uh, in Adelaide, yeah. Quite the introduction here. Come to a lockdown town. Um, <laughs> yeah. So it was Adelaide, not Melbourne. Yeah, it was. It was good. We actually uh, we actually flew in just in the middle of the uh, the, the famous Woodville pizza scandal, um, which is uh, you know the longest lockdown down that Adelaide had, I think. Um, so it caused a bit of chaos. But anyway, it's it, it's been great to to get here. Um, Adelaide's uh, got a really nice vibe to it, and yeah. uh, uh, completely different to. Uh, to, to shipbuilding back home, right? Yeah, uh, just a little warmer, a little drier on the whole, but I, I hear they do still have a bit of frost in Adelaide at times. Yeah, we do have frost, and, and to be honest, it rains a lot, but um, but when it rains, you only have to stand on the cover for 20 minutes, not for not for three weeks, right? So, <laughs> yeah, so um, can you talk about uh, the work that's been done at Osborne getting ready for these vessels and for shipbuilding in general there? Yeah, so there's been a huge amount of work to develop and mobilise the shipyard and the supply chain um, engineering and project management teams that are required to um, to deliver. So that work's been going on since I think um, kind of early 2019 um, when the contract for Hunter became effective. So you know we've got huge huge number of people that we've we've brought in. Um, the quality of the production work that's being undertaken there is second to none. So the, the unique challenge of trying to mobilize a shipyard and work out how to, how to mesh in a ship design with a state-of-the-art shipbuilding facility that, that we didn't design, right? Um, the great thing about that is it means you've got to get really curious. So you've got to go and, and find out about all the machines and how do we do this best? And people were asking me questions that they never asked me on the Clyde, right? It's because um, you know it developed into more of a sort of artisan um, way of working in the Clyde. They, they didn't need to ask the engineers the questions because they had a way of doing it that they've been doing for, for many years and, and, and evolved it themselves. So it's brought a, quite a unique set of challenges, but also um, a great opportunity. Um, and and the, you know, the outputs that we're um, producing at the moment, um, we're really proud of. 
there's been a phase of um, what we call prototyping, um, which has been about proving that we can use the, the data and the tools and getting the people um, to the point where they're confident. We're now in a phase um, where we're building some schedule protection blocks, um, which uh, will be used as part of Ship One. Well, Chris, thanks very much for your time. I know you're a man in uh, great demand. There's a few people queuing to say hi to you. So uh, thanks very much and uh, fascinating concept there. Thank you. Thanks for your time. Glad you like it. The second interview in this episode is with Pablo Menendez, Chief Strategy Implementation Officer at Navantia Australia. And we discussed the Tasman class Corvette they've offered to the Australian government and had a model on display at the show. Pablo Menendez from uh, Navantia, Australia. Welcome to the show. Hello, thank you very much for having me here. Now, Pablo, we're going to talk about the uh, Tasman-class Corvette. So this is something that Navantia has brought to the show of your own volition. Well, uh, with one of the conclusions of the DSR, sorry, one of the recommendations of the DSR was to have a Tier 2 combatant. Everybody wonders and questions what it is a Tier 2 combatant. Is it a Corvette? Is it a light frigate? Really, really, there is not a big difference between a Corvette and a light frigate, uh, but the capabilities of the ship. It's about the capability, what they can do. Uh, nowadays, Corvettes are combatants, are a combatant. Uh, they have high-end capabilities, similar to those of a destroyer, of course, not as I don't want to say powerful, but sometimes it's not as much of some of it, but uh, talking about vertical launching cells, for example, but, uh, but they do have all those capabilities, being able to cover different or all the different uh, warfares, anti-air warfare, anti-submarine warfare, asymmetric warfare, etc. Uh, in particular, our Tasman class Corvette is based in the, the one that we have designed and built for Saudi Arabia, where five ships have been delivered and three are already in service. This is a proven design, but at the same time modern, because this program has been running since 2015, 16. Uh, so we are talking about a proven design, but at the same time with all the modern technology and the late, latest systems. Uh, from that model, we took uh, some time, we took a lot of time to do uh, an impact assessment in order to introduce the systems, sensors, weapons that the Australian Navy uses in the current fleet. Uh, doing so, we accommodate the radar from CFR technology, the same one that uh, there is in the ANSAT class. We use that as an inspiration as we think that it's a, a good history, the ANSAT class of what they're doing for the Navy and the service they're providing for the Australian people and the country. Uh, we, we include also the gun, the, uh, the, the same gun that, that they're using, the, the Bofors, the 57mm Bofors. And uh, we uh, added as well some of the new capabilities that have been implemented currently in the fleet. As is the NSM missile launcher from Consber. In this case, we went all in with uh, 16, 16 launchers. Uh, and, uh, and uh, well, uh, that is going to be installed now in the ANSA, but also in the in the in the hover class destroyers so we're talking about similar capabilities frigates and destroyers see here and we're continuing with the vertical launching system the vls is the mark 41 mm -hmm. the same one that you have in the hover destroyers in this case uh, less cells we're talking about uh, 32 cells but that's pretty good capability mm -hmm. for a for a corvette right and we could go for the tactical length but we decided to grow a little bit the ship so we have a little bit higher displacement, what allow us to install the strike length VLS. 
So you can have tomahawk in this ship as well as you do in a, in a destroyer, with a big difference. This is a ship crew with just 90, 90 people, right? So with half the size of a current ANSAC, so with the crew of an ANSAC, you can crew two of these. No, that's, and that is important at the moment because, uh, the, like many defence forces around the world, we're having a lot of fun trying to get our numbers up and, and have enough crew for all our platforms. So, so the Corvette, you could send it out, it could be quite capable looking after itself, or it could also be there supplementing the fleet and working with other ships to make, for instance, a destroyer at the heart of, the, of a fleet, the, the Corvette could, one or two of those could really increase the power of the, uh, of the units out in the ocean. Yes, you are correct. Um, the Corvettes, they can be scored vessels, so when you have cargo coming to Australia, Australia is an island, everything big come to come by sea, you can do that. But then again, with the range of this ship, we're talking about 5,090 miles, an endurance of 30 days, you can sail as far away as a destroyer and be part of a bigger fleet. And uh, would it be capable of uh, supporting the Aegis battle management system, or Aegis as I've learned to call it lately, but uh, so would it be capable of supporting that system and integrating with the other sh ships in the fleet? Well, here we are talking about the, the combat management system of SAP, the OCMS, so we're not talking about an Aegis ship, this is something different, yes. Okay. But it have the uh, the Australian interface, the Saab. Yes, unit. with the same Australian interface. We well, we 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 have Australia. We're an Australian company. We've been been part of the defence ecosystem of Australia since 2006. As an our own company since 2012, and we have building relationships with Sea Technologies, with Saab Australia, etc. Mm -hmm. So we talked to them already in order to integrate the command management system and all the different weapons and sensors of this platform into that command management system. So. Uh, Shall the Commonwealth decided uh, to go for a tier two combatant, I could bet, and if they decide to go for our solution, we could be able to do these design changes and modifications in a very short period of time, because we already have the conversations, we have already started, so they can be start to build as soon as possible. And are you getting much uh, attention from the Royal Australian Navy? Are, are they paying attention to this? Do you think there's much interest from them on it? Well, when you think about a tier two combatant, you think about this ship, there is no more, there is no other Corvette or light frigate more capable than this one in the market. I think we are the most capable, we have the most capable Corvette. We are a company that has been delivered to the Australian Navy in the past. Uh, we, we, we think that our proposal makes sense, not only because it's a proven design from a proven company that has been designing ships for Australia for the last for the last, uh, I don't know how many years already, for the last 15 years? Yes, yes, I think we have designed 60% of the tonnets of the Australian fleet. So it kind of makes sense because that means that there is already an existing supply chain in the market, in, in Australia, in order to support the Hobart, the Canberra class LHD, and also the supply class AOR. And it can benefit with that with the, with the, the Corvette. All those companies, all the Australian companies that either they are already supporting here in-house, in the country, the, our, the the, 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 the ships of the fleet designed by Navantia, or they have already a connection with an European or overseas OEM, they're already here, they mm. exist. So, so that's good. That means that it can be integrated pretty fast, because at the same time using the same philosophy in design and in systems for the crews in order to crew this ship, uh, it's easier for the training. And you already have some of the training and simulators we have provided uh, to the Navy in, in the past years. So yeah, I mean, within it, it's commonality brings benefits, definitely certainly does and 
would there be any opportunity to build the ship here or would it be um, built and then fitted out over here or built and sustained? Well, I'm really glad you asked that question. Uh, this ship makes a lot of sense to be built in Henderson, in Western Australia. Uh, we know that, uh, that area, we know the capabilities. We have been part of one tender, the Line 8710, where it was mandated to be built there. So we have been there quite a few times. We talked to all the industry for the tender. We are some of the companies that we are competing, but in this case, we talk we had conversations and we made sense. We talked to Sidmec in order to build it in their share. They have really, uh, uh, really outstanding facilities over there. We talked to Austral. They have that a successful story of an Australian shipbuilding company, the Seas for Australia, and also for the US Navy. They have the workforce. So we all together, we can bring this and deliver to the Australian Navy. Yep. All quickly and all built in Australia, yes, yeah. in, in, in the West. And also, we have checked, and due to the size of the ship and the weight, it can be maintained in all the different uh, bases of across the country, in all the different regional maintenance centers, mm. yes. Yeah, that's always an important bit. You don't want to have something that won't fit in because it's too wide, too long, etc. Correct, correct. Uh, if if we go for a much bigger platform, like it can be a light frigate around 5,000 tons, that cannot be built in, in, in with the current facilities that are in Western Australia. It will have to be built uh, overseas. The only other place that you can build a ship of that size is, is Osborne Ship in Adelaide, which is already busy with another program. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's always an issue. They're too busy building everything else. So effectively what we're talking about is like a slightly reduced destroyer with uh, fewer, fewer crew than a current Anzac but using a lot of the similar systems to what's already there and the support and infrastructure. So if they're wanting a tier two, it almost sounds like it's a no-brainer and should be the easiest decision they've ever made. Well, that's what we think. We think the solution makes a lot of sense, right? We're talking about companies well-known by the Commonwealth. Uh, we have delivered in the past. It doesn't mean that we cannot deliver in the future, but we are doing everything to explain uh, how we're working together, how we're building this program, design phase, the impact assessment we have done with all the changes, regarding program management, we're already building it together between Sigma Austin and Avantia, that PMO office, in order to build the ship, knowing our strength and weakness of each one of the companies, in order that we can you know, use the strength of each one of us to, to, to go for, for that program. And, and as you mentioned, all this comes also with a better value for money. I know this is very useful, but at the end, one of the benefits also of the Corvette is that cheaper to build uh, and to maintain that, that, that frigate uh, or, or destroyers. Pablo, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate your information about the Tasman-class Corvette. All right. Thank you very much, Grant. Thank you. Thanks to everyone for listening once again. And don't forget, if you enjoyed this episode, you can like us on iTunes or your podcatcher of choice as this helps others discover our show. Meanwhile, thanks for tuning in and we'll be back in the not too distant future with another informative episode. The ADM podcast is produced by Southern Skies Media on behalf of Australian Defence Magazine, a Yaffa media title. The views of the people appearing on this podcast do not necessarily represent the views of Australian Defence Magazine, the Department of Defence or the guest's employer. If you wish to use any of the audio in this podcast, please contact Australian Defence Magazine via their website, australiandefence.com.au or via email at defmag at yaffa.com.au. You've been listening to a Yappa Media Podcast. Southern Skies Media.